Welcome to Let's Talk Wellness, where we will be sharing insights into the world of mental health and wellness as we explore traditional medicine and holistic healing options. It's time to have new conversations about mental health. Join Mara James, the founder and CEO of the Hugs for Life Healing Center, as she guides us along this journey. And now, let's talk wellness. Welcome to Let's Talk Wellness. I'm your host, Mara James, and I want to say thank you for joining us for today's conversation. During Let's Talk Wellness, we focus on healing, understanding, growth, and spirituality. This is part of the Hugs for Life Healing Center, a subsidiary of a nonprofit called Extraordinary Lives Foundation, where we're devoted to supporting mental health awareness and providing resources for children and their families. As the founder of these organizations, I have the great joy of collaborating with an amazing team to help bring healing to children and families around the world. You can find out all of our information at elfempowers.org, and you can find the link in the show information. Now, let's talk wellness with today's guest, Dr. Maciel Perez Calhoun. Dr. Perez Calhoun is a professor of the School of Education at the University of Massachusetts Global. She's the newest ELF board member and mother of four-year-old daughter, Clark. Welcome, Asiel. Thank you for having me. It's so great to have you here today. So can you share with us why you decided to go into this field and a little bit about your background? Of course. Um, well, I'm an educator and my dissertation, a dissertation for those of you who don't know, is um, basically like your thesis in a master's program. Um, this was for my doctorate program. My dissertation was on workplace wellness workplace wellness programs and barriers to participation. Yeah. So why are we struggling to implement any type of health, wellness, self-care, um, mental health tools in our daily routine? And what are those barriers? And so when I realized that there's a lot of barriers and we need to break down those barriers, and a lot of that is tied to stigmas, um, I decided to be an advocate for my own health, wellness, and self-care journey, and then also to bring on my daughter. And then it just became a life commitment now. And here I am. Wow. That's amazing. And so when you were going to school, did you have any idea that you were going to go into this field? You know, I kind of didn't. Um, I was an athlete growing up. So working now and eating well, um, even stretching and meditating was the thing back then. We didn't call it meditating and yoga, right? But we were doing it. Um, and so fast forward as an adult, I maintained my journey with um, health and wellness. But what I learned later in life was to tie in this new idea of self-care and balance, mm -hmm. you know, life balance, work balance, family balance, um, your health balance. And so um, my journey has been very interesting because I used to be very strict and rigid. And now it's more fluid and flexible and welcoming and self-accepting, um, which brings a whole different mental um, fitness, you know, to your daily self and who you are. 
Right. So let me ask you a question. So growing up, I, you know, I played sports, wouldn't know if I was really an athlete, but um, in college, I rode crew, played volleyball, and oh. we were always go, go, go. We never, like, yeah, we had to stretch a little. We went to the pool to do like the doggy paddle to release lactic acid. But I don't recall any time where we actually slowed down to the extent of what we would call now meditation. So what kind of sports did you play? And how did that um, really, you know, that meditation come about? So as a child, um, you know, you're coached. So you do what you're similar to what you said, you're coached by your coaches and you went into the pool to release your lactic acid, but um, it is go, 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 go for athletes. Right. I mean, I remember going to school, um, changing in the car, going to gymnastics class there till seven and then driving home, eating and going right to bed. And so um, my mother was very influential in that we would see her, you know, um, crisscross applesauce and doing her deep breathings and her stretching and stuff like that. And she slowly started to incorporate this kind of like, bring it down a notch because we were going full speed ahead. Um, same thing with swimming. I was a swimmer. And then fast forward as an adult, I participate in triathlons and triathlons take up hours of training. And what I've learned through um, this journey is you're only as good as your mental health. So if you're not mentally okay, then you're not going to be physically okay either. And so it's taking that time to simmer down, bring it back to your thoughts. Um, you know, what's affecting you, what's hurting you, what are you listening to? Um, and really being an advocate for yourself. And when you say what you're listening to is, are you talking about externally or those internal thoughts? Both. It can be both, you know, um, you, you, you are what you say to yourself. So you can sabotage yourself easily in a day and say, this workout was horrible. I'll give you a perfect example. Excuse me. This morning, um, I had it on my calendar to work out and I woke up with little energy. We were at the pool yesterday and it zonked me out. Um, but I just said, it's on my calendar. And I committed, get on the bike, fast forward an hour later, I'm done. Right. So, um, mentally, I was telling myself, you committed, just get on the bike, just start 30 minutes, just start. And then whatever, an hour later. Right, right, right. And then, yeah, yeah. And then if you decided not to go on it, not feeling guilty and saying, it's okay to skip today, just don't skip your next day, workout day. A hundred percent. And don't beat yourself up. Yeah. Right. I love that. And it's interesting. So it was actually your mom. It wasn't any of your coaches um, that helped you with the mindfulness. Yeah. The coaches were old school coaches. Um, and it was my mom because she suffers from anxiety. And so she needed to meditate and do what we, back then stretching now meditation or yoga. Um, but I do remember her um, also walking, you know, in, back and forth. So uh, I, we would laugh because my mom to this day does the same exercise where she goes like this and paces back and forth. Um, because, you know, she didn't have a gym or any equipment, but it's just, you know, just watching her, um, it, it was breathing, it was moving, it was, you know, releasing her energy and with five kids, right. She needed this time to herself. And there we were marching behind her, you know, um, and just making it a family thing. You know, we lead by example as mothers 
as caregivers, as guardians. And so they need to see us doing it. So we saw my mom doing it and here we are, you know, continuing that. That is so beautiful. So now as a professor, what class, uh, what is the name of the class that you teach? Um, so the, if I give you the names, they're, they're difficult, but um, seminar and curriculum and instruction, um, uh, leadership and strategies, how to conquer the world, um, curriculum design and implementation. Mm. And so that gives me the opportunity with, with my audience, my teachers, and it allows them to use their audience, their students, to share and put in these practices. Um, oftentimes they're complaining that they are receiving from leadership, do this and do this, and they don't have time. Um, and so I teach teachers with the curriculum that I'm teaching how to implement in their daily routine um, and model. Modeling is huge. That's a teacher term, but modeling what it looks like to practice health, wellness, and self-care um, in the classroom. So one thing is always a water bottle, always a water. If you don't have it accessible, you won't drink it. So always a water bottle. Um, they drink when you drink is my routine. So if you see me drink, you're going to take a drink too. And you'd be surprised. Um, uh, here's a little quick example. There was a student in my class back when I was teaching K through 12, who would bring home or bring from home a monster. This is a sixth grader. My heart sank when I saw that. And all I had to do was say to him, from now on, no more monster. You're going to bring a water. If you want to drink that monster at another class, you can, but not in this class. Well, then fast forward, he talked to his mom about that. And she came to me and she's like, why no monster? And I'm like, have you read the label? She had no clue what that monster was doing to him because he was bringing it to school and I'd get the jittery, you know, hyper kid from this monster. Um, and it was just that she had lack of awareness. Wow. Right? So I said, replace it with a water. And then we made it a point, you know, kids, we all work so um, interesting with psychological feeds, you know, what you're reading and perceiving. We had smart water. I'm not endorsing smart water, but the label smart water with the little goldfish was so intriguing to these children. And it just was a thing that all of us drink smart water and they believed they were getting smarter while being hydrated. Wow. Gee, you know what? That's great branding for smart water, right? <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Um, and you shared with me last week um, a name of a program that you taught do well at being you. Oh, yes. Um, I started since my dissertation, I started do well at being you where I go into businesses, organizations, particularly focusing on teachers, though. So school districts. Um, I did it with the Irvine Chamber, um, talking about health, wellness and self-care and how it's subjective to you and how you need to figure out what you need by listening to your body, your mind you know, um, and then again, teaching them how to implement it into their daily lives. And it's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle to stop and take time for yourself. Wow. This would be great if, te if all teachers can learn self-care when they're going through their education, not only the ones that are blessed to take your class. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and I know you, um, your target audience are educators, so that's who you teach, but it sounds like, um, it's the same thing you can teach to parents. Oh, absolutely. It definitely transfers to parents. And some of my teachers are parents, which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, 
it would be the same idea of your, the parent and the teacher are modeling for the child what it looks like to do this. Can I share my 838 stretch? Absolutely. Okay. So this is a perfect anecdote. Uh, KTLA 5 has the 838 stretch. It's when they all, the anchors, the cameraman, everybody stops and they do the 838 stretch. So they all stand up and take deep breaths and, you know, get their blood flowing. And so one day my husband and I are doing our morning routine with our daughter, Clark. So I'm sipping my coffee. Clark's on her iPad. Dad's getting out of the shower. And he says, ah, oh, you know, it comes on KTLA 838 stretch. My husband, ah, oh, 838 stretch. And then I'm like, I need to get out of bed and get this kid ready. 838 stretch. So it got me up. I put my coffee down and there I am stretching. And then Clark, our four-year-old um, is like, I want to stretch, you know, and she starts doing her gymnastics moves and it just every Saturday morning, 838 stretch. So why not in your classroom or at home with um, your family, 838 stretch, or, you know, I don't know, 1015 stretch or whatever you want to do. Maybe or a, se- maybe or a 715 stretch on a school day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, a 6 PM stretch down, you know, to bring uh, down the night. Yeah. but, you know, making it a family thing. Like if kids see um, their guardians doing it, whoever their guardian may be, then they're more likely to do it. I love that monkey see monkey doing the fact Absolutely. that your daughter was kind of like feeling left out and wanted to do yeah. it. But it was doing something positive, not like having a piece of cake or, you know. Absolutely. And I wonder why, I don't know if you know why KTLA chose 838 is the time. I mean, you know, in a second, I have no it idea. could have been 938. I have no idea. I'd have to yeah. Google that to find out. <laughs> I love that. That is so great. And I have, I just have a vision of you getting um, smart water to donate smart waters to all the children because it promotes, they're going to buy, right? It's great. Marketing. <laughs> I love that. Um, wow. 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 Okay. So much good stuff. Um, so the teachers, the parents, um, what else, what other things do you teach to the teachers that can also be carried over to parents? Um, that every self-care practice is subjective and different. Mm-hmm. And self-care is a huge umbrella of not only health, wellness, and mental health, um, but really tuning into you and what you need. And it's different for everyone else. And you really got to listen. So for example, I'll give you a medical example. Um, a medical example would be all three of my sisters are athletes and w- genetically we have high blood pressure. But my mom, my sisters, and I are all on completely different high blood pressure medications. What works for one doesn't work for the other. Same with our workout routines. I like individual workout routines. I can motivate myself. Today, I got on my bike, like I said. My sister likes group group classes. My other sister likes the Peloton. Private, a coach is telling her what to do. It's the same with your eating habits. We throw out... Keto, 30-30, low carb, high protein, a fasting, all of these diets that are out there, right? If I fast, I will faint. I start to stutter and I pass out. It's not for me. I can't even fast three hours. You know, it's just not for me. So think of self-care for everyone is different. Whether you meditate, whether you do yoga, whether you do deep breathing, whatever works for you, it's different for everyone. And the the length we've um, 
in my talks, it's come out that meditating is a practice that you build up. So you start with three minutes, then you go to five, then you go to 15, then you, you know, keep going um, because it's calming the mind and the brain. So it's going to be different for every person and it's very subjective. So what I told the families is what does your family need? Do you guys need quiet time after dinner? Um, Do you guys need to have no iPads, no technology and a 15 minute conversation? How was your day? Do you go for a 15 minute walk after dinner together around the block? What does your practice look like in your home? Do you have a um, Bible session where you go to church and you, you know, spirituality, you know, and you do something like that? Um, Do you cook together? Um, what is it that you work out together? What is it that you do that your family needs? I love that. Um, and then for teachers in particular, when the, you know, when a child's going through something at home and sometimes the teachers know about it, sometimes they don't, but what they don't, I think that, I don't know, but I'm assuming that a teacher can kind of feel that that child's a little off. Let's say, you know, there's a divorce, there's something, an earthquake, whatever's going on. What do you suggest um, for those teachers? Um, so I always say that the, the dynamic of a teacher, the child and the parent is a, it's a triangle and there constantly has to be communication. And let me tell you how powerful the um, parent to student to teacher relationship is. Um, My cousin is a lawyer. She's busy. Her son's teacher said something's off with Diego. It It ended up being brain cancer. And um, he had multiple surgeries. He's now left with a little bit of a facial issue, but he's still alive. Had it not been for the teacher being aware of Diego, he was acting funny, skipping a bee, you know, something was fishy and mom didn't catch it, um, probably too busy. And so um, by the time they found it, you know, it was a brain cancer and they removed it and he's healthy and fine now. Thank goodness. Um, but had she not said something, you know, um, things, things happen. And, and you're, you're really on point when you said, you know, um, a divorce, a death, um, in my daughter's classroom, one of the little girls lost her fish and she came to school, couldn't get over it you know, so how they managed that was the whole school decided to talk about pets and the, sometimes they die and that they're still in our hearts and we still can talk to them. Right. So it was very interesting, but at a young age, um, death can be big was her little fish. Um, what if in a family we, um, I'm talking about this cause it's literally happening in our circle. Um, a mother had to go to rehab for three weeks and leave her five-year-old. I mean, what do you think that little girl is going through and how her whole family dynamic has shift um, shifted and dad doesn't live here. And suddenly dad is here taking care of her for three weeks. It's just out of control. And it's, um, it's an issue that they're being grandparents are coming in to support, you know, it's, it's a process. And, you know, what that family needs right now is support. Um, yeah. And continuity. There's a lot of changes. 
a lot of changes. Let's get her. I'll give her a piggy bear, by the way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but now, so question before we take our break with the p- teachers, is it asking too much for the teachers to, you know, recognize what's going on with their kids? Or is it something that's so apparent that it just happens naturally? Okay, well, hold on. Some teachers can pick up on it, you know, and some teachers don't or choose not to. Um, I would say in general, most teachers are in the profession because they care about their children and their students, right? Um, But I've known a few who I'm like, how did you not, you know, see the red flags, you know, what? Um, But most of the time, the teachers can pick up on what their students need. So, for example, um, some kids have military families and suddenly their fathers are deployed or their mothers are deployed. Well, just bringing attention to that student in the classroom and showing them extra support and being mindful of what that child needs once, you know, mom or dad or whomever is gone. That's something that a teacher can support, you know, in the classroom. Um, Another one is um, if of death in the family or um, a divorce. A divorce can be sudden for some and it's very traumatic for some. So um, learning how to manage, okay, well now we have dad picking you up today and then tomorrow mom's gonna pick you up, you know, and just treating that scenario with respect for the child and keeping their mental health in the, in the center of what that child needs. Beautiful. So we're going to take a brief break. And when we come back, we're going to, Dr. Maciel will share with us how giving students and parents tools to teach them positive mental health skills. So wait one minute. We'll be right back. In these shifting and changing times, more and more lives are being impacted by mental health. The Extraordinary Lives Foundation, also known as ELF, is transforming the way people view and navigate mental health challenges. Their mission is to improve children's mental health and wellness and support families by providing educational tools, resources, and awareness events. ELF encourages families to recognize symptoms, overcome the stigma, and reach out for help. Through prevention, early intervention, and holistic treatment, we believe many of the big problems facing today's youth can be transformed within a generation. Extraordinary Lives Foundation is excited to offer the Hugs for Life Healing Center, growing a worldwide network of approved holistic healers and bridging the gap between traditional and complementary healing options. Visit the Extraordinary Lives Foundation website at www.elfempowers.org to find out more about their resources and events. Together, we can change the conversation around mental health. We hope that you're enjoying today's Let's Talk Wellness podcast. And if you have a topic that you would like us to explore, we would love to hear from you. Simply email us at info at elfempowers.org. That's info at elfempowers.org. And now, back to the show. Welcome back to Let's Talk Wellness. I'm your host, Mara James, and today we're speaking with Dr. Maciel Perez-Calhoun. Welcome back, Maciel. Thank you again. Thank you for being here. So if you can share with us some tools, like what you like to call the toolbox, to help teachers and parents with positive mental health skills for themselves, as well as their students and children. Absolutely. So as the parent and as the teacher, 
you know, we're the, the model. We're the one responsible. Um, we, t- we want to teach our children how to regulate their behaviors on a regular basis. And the way that they do that is by watching what we do. Mm. So we need to have our toolbox, you know, mental health, wellness, self-care toolbox set. I'll give you an example. I have a four-year-old daughter. She's watching me in the way that I react. So when I'm in the car and someone cuts me off, if I'm like, God, you know, she's watching that. And so what am I teaching her about how to regulate my emotions and my behaviors? Mm. And so I'm learning um, a lot, not only through textbook and theory, but with my own daughter hands on how to be ready. So teachers and parents, um, guardians want to be ready with their toolbox and they need to practice it. If you do not practice it, you're going to react when you get cut off. Um, Creating teachable moments. So for example, my husband came home frustrated, you know, blah, 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 blah. He's talking about this deal that didn't go through. And Clark, our daughter, who practices um, self-care and wellness and mental health practices, says, Dada, you need to take a deep breath. Dada. So I always go like this to Clark. We're right here right now. We need to bring it down. And she literally goes up to him and says, Dada you need to take a break. You need to breathe. But I'm sure he responded um, positively because she's young and sweet. Oh, absolutely. Now, if if he was like in a really cranky mood and it was an older child that it might've not been such a beautiful response, right? Well, again, it's responsible. It's the responsibility of the parent to direct that child. So um, maybe not in a silly you know, oh, take deep breaths. You know, when a 13 year old is raging and is like, eh, I hate you, mom, I hate you, dad. Um, but you can approach them in a different way to support them at that age. You know, okay, sweetie, I know you need space. You know, I'll, I'll shut the door for you, you know, because teenagers are a whole different human. <laughs> yeah. uh, one of the tools that I talk about with teachers and with parents too is to have post its available. And you can, the power of a post-it note, I say, if a student is feeling upset, you just do a little happy face and you put it down and you'd be surprised that look that they give you. They're like, you know, thank you. Just gratitude. Um, Power of a post-it note, if you're stressed with your husband or your wife and you need to write something out, I don't like it when, or when we calm down, let's talk about, you know, whatever. Um, Same thing with a brain dump, you know, my sister, stop, you know, whatever you want to friend needs help, whatever you want to do on a brain dump and have that post-it note ready, just kind of like, it's kind of like journaling, but with, with post-it notes, you know, um, but, um, being prepared and having them in your classroom or at home, having post-it notes around and we, I put them up anywhere. Um, I also do a post-it note every day for Clark's lunch when I send her to school and it's a little message, you know, sweet message with a sticker. Um, that's something that we do to make her feel positive that day. And that we're thinking about her, even though she's away from us. Cause at four, you know, two to four going to school can be, can be emotionally hard. Um, uh, another tool is like I mentioned is having the water bottles ready always. And when you drink, your kids will drink. Um, Clark always has a water bottle in the car and she likes ice. So I put ice in it. <laughs> um, uh, breathing, uh, you can do anywhere. So even in your car, I do it before I go in on an interview. 
I just, you know, just give myself some positive thoughts and take deep breaths and tell myself positive affirmations about what I'm going to do, how I'm going to do it. This is okay. And just bring my anxiety down and calm down because interviews can be stressful. Um, and modeling, you know, um, day to day. So it's interesting. I forget how much Clark is watching me, but whenever I'm anywhere, I say, good morning. It's just habit from being a teacher. You walk on campus and you're like, Hey, hi, you know, Susie, hi principal, you know, good morning. And I just do that now and, you know, on a regular basis. So Clark goes down the street when the gardener goes by good morning or buenos dias or, you know, whatever, um, excuse me. We get food delivered and um, she'll say, hi, how are you? You know, come on in. And she lets them in, but she's watching the way I'm treating people, um, mm-hmm. showing empathy and compassion and being respectful and mindful, um, showing even equity in the way that I teach, or excuse me, the way that I treat people. Um, I don't, I'm not demeaning. I'm not disrespectful. Even the way they're watching you when you're at a restaurant and your order comes up incorrectly. Am I going to say, <laughs> am I going to say, I asked for no dressing or why is her dressing on my salad? You know, it's, she's watching me nonstop. So it's important for me to model for her, um, what being calm looks like. Right. And being in that moment and remembering it, I think is the hardest thing. So, and, you know, unfortunately they're just parents, you know, um, for whatever's going on at home, it's, you know, that the children aren't being modeled that way. Um, what, I mean, what do you suggest that? I don't know if the school really has the bandwidth to teach them that. And of course, that's one of our goals with Piggy Bear and the TV series. But what do you suggest? Is there hope? (laughs) Well, you, Mara, and the power of Piggy Bear are bringing hope to schools um, around South Orange County and beyond um, with your curriculum that you have for Piggy Bear um what you've developed is not only robust it's comprehensible and as an educator myself and someone who teaches teachers i found it really easy to implement and teach and what i really enjoyed was um it's tidbits every single day with the tools and the physical tangible tools such as the power cards and um the coloring book and the coloring sheets and the actual piggy bear um stuffed animal plush but um, you also provided support in that curriculum to show what's going on in the school and then to take it home that day to reinforce it. Mm. And so what it's really doing is not only teaching um, and making it easy for the instructors to do, the educators, but the home environment where it needs to continue, right? So we're, I say we're handing off the torch. So I started it here in school, but then you're going to continue it at home. Um, And really, you know, being mindful of what your child is learning at school. What did you learn today? I heard you talked about piggy bear. What does piggy bear do? You know, so on and so forth. So um, rarely will a kid come up and say, oh, I took three births with piggy bear, but she'll tell me who peed in class that day. (laughs) You know what I mean? Or who cried that day because mommy right away, so-and-so cried, but she didn't tell me that she had a lesson with piggy bear when I know they did. Right. Right. So asking your children, what did you learn today? You know, what was positive? What did you like? Um, And then sharing that from teacher to, to home. 
Right. I love that. And also there was, um, I heard a story from one of the teachers, we received feedback that, you know, the child in a class that was doing the Children's Emotional Wellness Week program um, had, the child had four siblings. So, you know, it's hard for the parent every day to sit there and she was a single mom to ask all five children what was going on. But the children, the child actually brought home the tools to te- to show the mom and the siblings. And, it, you know, yeah. yeah, which was creating that camaraderie, which I really love. Yeah. And building it as a family and what that looks like. Yeah. So, and also, so then what about teaching camaraderie, um, how to teach kids to help each other? Well, empathy is huge and social emotional learning is huge right now. Um, And the teacher can do it in a guided uh, teacher instruction type of environment. Um, And so can the family at home. So um, building camaraderie is something that, um, you know, I noticed athletes get it, but I noticed that some don't. So let me give you an example. When Clark was just three months old, she started mommy and me gymnastics, mommy and me swim. And, you know, you get to know all the little kids. So I would cheer, Wendy, good job. Wendy, Nancy, the mom, good job. And that's building a community and camaraderie amongst us. Well, fast forward, Nancy and Wendy, um, Wendy's Clark's best friend to this day. So they've known each other for four years. And Nancy told me, the mom, she was like, I thought you were a weirdo because you were cheering on my kid. And I'm like, well, I was building camaraderie amongst that group, right? Positive affirmations, acknowledging their presence, um, creating equity amongst the, the children. If this mother didn't go, I would say it's your turn. You know, my kid already went. I didn't want Clark to dominate the class. Um, but all of that is just so important. And now to this day, Clark shows a lot of sportsmanship and camaraderie and building. Are are you okay? Can I help you? You know, she'll say, or, um, high five, you made it across the pool or, oh, today this child is new. So I'm going to help you watch me go first. Um, but she's wanting to build this positive environment where, um, uh, it creates a safe space emotionally for these children to either thrive or learn from. And that's what we, what we ideally want with our children, right? Camaraderie, positivity, empathy, compassion, being able to feel and acknowledge that their friend is hurt. Um, and that is also taught. Empathy is a very hard thing to teach. Um, and that is taught through through what they see with us. Right. It definitely... Um... You know, it starts, of course, with the parents and teachers, like having our cup full, because if we're not happy, go lucky, we can't teach it, right? We can only teach somebody something if we know it. And, you know, sometimes parents get competitive and that's their own, you know, ego and their own issues. But when someone's so confident and, you know, secure that they have their cup filled, then they could roll it over to others. It overflows. Yeah, I love that. And it definitely takes all of us coming together to um make that happen yeah yeah Um, is there anything we haven't discussed to that you would love to share with teachers parents caregivers that are watching and listening yeah one of the thing about health wellness and self-care and taking care of your mental health is making it sustainable what i mean by that is, is not just today and this week and this month it's a lifelong journey that you have to accept and and say to yourself I'm going to take care of me so I can then better take care of my family or be happy at work or leave this job and take a career shift. You know, sometimes you have to make these big decisions, but it's a lifelong commitment to you and your mental health. And then that will overflow to your child and your family. And um, 
the biggest takeaway I would say is number one, accept that you're going to go on this lifelong journey. Um, do it in baby steps and incrementally because you don't want it to suddenly disappear. This has to be a lifelong journey and you will evolve and change. Mm-hmm. Um, one mindful uh, thing that I do when I'm teaching is close your eyes and think of who you were when you were 20. What were you wearing? Who were you hanging out with? What car were you driving? Where did you work? Um, what music were you listening to? Fast forward 30. Who were you with? Who were your friends? Did you travel? Did you meet someone special? Um, even the bad things. Did you get a divorce? Did you lose a child? Um, fast forward to 35 and fast forward to 40 and 45. So who I was when I was 20, I laugh at now. And that is not who I am today. But understanding that we are evolving and growing with the education that we learn and the environments and um, um, experiences that we learn and we're becoming a better self, right? So it's a lifelong journey is what I would tell you and make it sustainable. Yeah, I love that. It's like people say like the goal is not to get to the other side of the dance floor. It's to enjoy the dance and life is kind of enjoying each step yep. of the way, the good, the bad. <laughs> yep. Yep. Upside downs. Right. And what is the best way for people to get in touch with you? Oh, um, my handle is at do well at being you on Instagram and on Facebook. So at do well at being you. I love that. And we'll put that in the show information also. Uh, Dr. Maciel, it's been such a pleasure having you to you and all of our friends listening and watching out there. You are amazing. (laughs) Yes, we are. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Let's Talk Wellness. This podcast has been brought to you by the Hugs for Life Healing Center, a division of the Extraordinary Lives Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. If you would like to listen to more conversations like this, we invite you to subscribe to our mailing list at www.elfempowers.org to be notified when our weekly episodes are published. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to bringing you our next conversation on Let's Talk Wellness.